Let's pick up from where we left off in episode two and three then, shall we? I wasn't performing properly, and Dave knew that I wasn't performing properly. He called me into the party crew office for a chat. When going to the office, I thought that I might be fired, but I hadn't really done anything major to get fired from the company, and I was on good personal terms with Dave. When I got to the office, he asked me how I thought I was doing, to which I told him the truth, that I thought I was struggling to sell for some reason. So he gave me an ultimatum. Ride it out in party crew for the next couple of weeks and see if I could pick things up, or join the team of Iceberg, which was another nightclub in the resort. Iceberg was part of the same company as Party Crew, and when I joined the company, although I worked for Party Crew, some of my best friends in the resort worked for Iceberg, and Dave knew that. Abby and Sherry, they were two girls from Leicester who had the same crack, if not better than some of the lads. Other members of the team included Aaron, Tom, McLovin, Mitch, Kieran who was the club manager, and Little Costa who was our PR manager, and a girl who I won't name for legal reasons who has since designed a kilt for Justin Bieber. There were just a few people to name. I jumped at the chance to join Iceberg as a lot of my good friends worked there and the job itself was literally the easiest job in the world. The work was more during the night time rather than working in the daytime what I was used to whilst I was working at bar troopers and party crew but all we had to do was hand out free drinks tokens to tourists to try and tempt them to come into the club and when they handed them tokens in at the door they had a unique number on them so that the club knew uh, what promoter had got the tourists into the club and in turn work out how much commission each member of staff had earned. You'd think it was easy, but a lot of tight-arse tourists would get to the door of the, door of the club and they'd, try, they'd expect a free drink, like, just at the door. But the, catch, the only catch was that they had to pay entrance to the nightclub. The way I used to sell this was by explaining to the tourists that whatever nightclub they went into in Sunny Beach... You used to have to pay usually around 15 levs anyway and getting a free drink included, which is usually 5 levs. So really you're only paying 10 levs to get into a nightclub, well to get into Iceberg, which worked out at £4 or €5. Euros. We typically found out how, how much we'd made the night before, the day after, in a team meeting with Little Costa in a tiny little shack-like building which was located next to Iceberg and there was always murmurs that the staff or security at the turnstiles to the club were just ripping up the drinks tickets and throwing them in the bin so that the tourists the tourists were going into the club but the staff didn't know uh, the staff wasn't getting the commission which they was owed i particularly remember one team meeting after it had been a quiet quiet night in iceberg the night before little costa would stand in the middle of the meeting room and go around the team giving us our commission money cash in hand Bear in mind, we'd get 50 stadinkies per person which we got in, which was like 20 pence per tourist who used our unique drink tickets when gaining entrance into the club. So it'd eventually all add up and we'd also get a monthly salary on top of that as well. So a little cost started with Tom. Tom, one liver 50. We all looked at each other like school kids trying not, not to laugh at somebody who had fought in the classroom because Tom was one of our better sellers. McLovin, two liver Abby, 50 stadinkies. Sherry, 50 stadinkies. Byron, one lev. We'd all had an absolute shocker. And there was actually some staff who didn't earn anything at all for the night before. We all tried our very hardest not to burst into fits of laughter, but Little Costa did not look impressed one bit. It was always a weird feeling when we had a shit night of sales in Iceberg, because when the club wasn't full, it really didn't look great in there. And there were so many gaps on the dance floor when there wasn't 200 plus people in there. So often people would just walk in and then walk out. 
There was an outdoors outdoors chill out bar at Iceberg in which all the staff from Iceberg, Party Crew and Off and Disco Orange would congregate in. But when tourists would see all the staff outside, they'd often join the party join the party outside, which then left the club inside empty. So we'd be prompted to go into the club to make it look more busy. But with with the heat and being stood on our feet all night and finishing around two, three AM, all we wanted to do was just chill out when you know, when the night's work was done. The club manager was an English fella called Kieran, who'd often give us us promoters drug tickets, which could use when we finished work. And I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, the best sellers from the night before got treated with a drug token. We'd also get given drink tickets at the end of a night shift, which we could use for drinks, or you could use multiple tokens to accumulate them to get one of the one and a half litres drugs of alcohol. There was a lot of different options when it came to what drink you, that you wanted in your jug, um, but I lived on one and one only really, and that was called the Jaeger Monster. The Jaeger Monster was made up of one thirds Jaegermeister to two parts Monster Energy in a one and a half litre jug, which absolutely knocked you for six, and I'd average around two or three of these per night, which obviously didn't do my insides any favours back in 2011, um, but back then Vodka and Red Bull slash Jägermeister and Monster in this case. It was all the rage and everybody was at it. The thought of a Jäger bomber or a Vodka Red Bull now really does turn my stomach, but as a stupid 19-year-old, it was absolute heaven. Tony was still working at Party Crew whilst I was over at Iceberg, but because Party Crew events finished up at Iceberg anyway, we still spent the evenings together when we'd all finished work and we were still living together along with Amy and Faye. One evening, one of my roommates had gone to Kakao Beach for an event, and because I was working until the early hours of the morning, I decided that I'd give it a miss. I ended up getting absolutely wasted with the others at Iceberg, who also gave Kakao that night a miss, and I headed home around 5am. Myself and Tony used to share a key for the apartment, but I thought he'd gone home, got home from Kakao by 5, but he wasn't home neither, and the girls wasn't him and none of them were picking up the phone, so I only had one option really, and that was sleeping on the doorstep of my own apartment, because I was absolutely knackered. Our apartment was up on the second floor, and the only other people living on our floor was staff from our company, so we knew everybody who lived around us. And also you did need a key to gain access to the main door of the apartment complex, so it was safe to sleep on your own doorstep until somebody you lived with came home to let you into your apartment. Or so I thought. I fell asleep on my doorstep and I was woken up by a Dutch lad who lived next door to me who also worked for Iceberg but there was something about him that I just did not trust. He was a lot older than the rest of the staff and he drove his own car from Holland to Bulgaria and he'd often drive it whilst he was pissed up or stoned or even both. When I got woken up I really didn't remember how long it was from me from being woke up to waiting to get back into my apartment but I remember thinking I'll try and call my roommates to see how long they they was going to take to get home. But shock horror, my phone wasn't in my pocket. The phone that I had at the time, it was my first ever contract phone and I hadn't had it long. It was a Blackberry Torch and at the time they was one of the best phones on the market. It was a slide phone and it also had a touch screen as well as a QWERTY keyboard behind, uh, below the screen. And I think I'd taken the contract out just before the season had begun. I just had a horrific feeling that it was the guy who woke me up, the the Dutch guy who'd stolen my phone from my pocket, but I didn't have any any way of nailing him on the crime really. But the day after, I'd told some friends about what had happened, and another one of the lads had also had his iPod stolen 
from somebody within the company in that in the apartment complex. And we was we was friends with the Dutch lad's roommate, so we hatched a plan to ransack his apartment. We waited until he was working um, on a night shift and then gained access to his room to go through all his things to try and find the iPod and my phone. We turned the par- apartment inside out, upside down and found our friend's iPod, but we didn't find my phone so we probably sold it quickly to, just for a quick bit of money. But with this fella being a lot older than us, he was a bit of a sketchy bastard as well and apparently he had a bit of a dark past back in Holland. I think my safety became my safety be- came before my phone, so I just let it slide. When he got quizzed about the iPod, he denied it all, and I'm pretty sure that he said somebody must have planted it there, but I didn't buy that one. <laughs> I didn't buy that one bit. And shortly after, he was sacked from Iceberg, and we never saw him again. He was an absolute thieving bastard, and I hope he crashed his car on the way back to Holland. Scumbag. After having my phone stolen, it was becoming annoyingly difficult to get in contact with people, especially my family back home, as I had to go to an internet cafe and I wouldn't trust the staff in there to take my bins out, never mind trusting their computers with my internet banking password or Facebook password, but it was needs must, and it was the only way of getting into contact with anybody. Luckily, I had my parents coming over for a two-week holiday, and they bought me a cheat phone just for me to complete my season. Back at Iceberg, we'd often have events on, there was like guest DJs, etc., and one night we had a, we had the Dutch outfit, bingo players, you might not have heard of bingo players, but the biggest hit was Cry, which was lo- later stolen and ruined by Flowrider. They had another track called Rattle as well, which went on to be in a huge club hit in 2011-2012. I'd heard Cry, and I thought it was a big enough hit for tourists from all over Europe to know of, and the lad I was working with that night downloaded it onto his phone so he could show potential customers the song to then tempt them into the club. At the end of the night, we had sold 80 tickets for the event and we'd made ourselves some really decent commission in the process. Paul Balmer, who was one half of the bingo players, sadly lost his battle to cancer back in December in 2013, aged 37. So may he rest in peace and thank you for that cracking night back in 2011. A lot more people had settled in with the companies and a lot more companies were getting one along with one another in the middle of high season in 2011. We'd often go to other, club, other clubs to party with, with our friends who worked for them. Um, however, when we worked at Iceberg, we wasn't allowed to go into DGV as they was the busiest nightclub and our managers had the idea that if tourists had seen us partying in there, then why the next day would, the, would tourists listen to us um, when we're trying to tempt them to come to Iceberg when they seen us having a great time in DGV? He did have a point really and I could see where he was coming from but it was getting boring partying in the same place every night especially when you're just sat in the chill out area of a club because you can't be arsed with the tourists inside so going elsewhere was just keep yourself just just to keep yourself enjoying the resort workers would workers would often band together to go to places like Tony's karaoke bar where we would make an absolute mockery of ourselves on karaoke whilst pissing off the try hard families who thought that karaoke was the final of the x factor and to be fair we probably made Tony's karaoke lose a bit of business with our antics but the resident dj in there tony he was a great bloke and he had a lot of time for us workers as long as we wasn't ruining his equipment or causing too much of a scene there was a big lap dancing pole in the middle of Tony's, so it was common to see a half-naked worker making a dick of himself on it like a cheap hooker, whilst Linda from Blackpool's covering a kid's eyes and tutting in disgust. One of the best shows of unity I ever saw was put together by a lad called Tom who also worked for Iceberg. 
He arranged a gathering on the beach and invited all the workers from all the companies for one big piss up on the beach. I remember him telling me that he hopes it that it does turn out to be a decent show um, and that people can get an on him resort and it did prove to be a great success. There was over 100 people who showed up and we all got booze from the supermarkets and had a session on the beach for a few hours early in the morning, which really did show that everyone can get along no matter who you work for. The company politics never really appealed to me in Bulgaria as I've always been in the same way of thinking that everybody is a human, no matter where you're from or who you work for. But you would get some people who were proper firmsmen or firmswomen who'd badmouth each, each other's companies just to get the tongs further up the bosses' asses, which I did find a bit pathetic. That's not what you want when you're working abroad in the summer. It's about meeting people who are going to be your friends five to ten years down the line remembering events and people who who was at them events and it's also listening to songs which will directly take you back um, to where you first heard that song. Speaking of songs, there was some questionable songs that I thought was bangers back in 2011 but I'd cringe if I heard them now but some of them will remind me of the great times and memories that I did have. The biggest song in summer of 2011 was the Party Rock Anthem which I'd skip now if it came on my shuffle but back then it was the shit and I didn't but I, but I never did understand all the knobheads on the dance floor trying to do the shuffle whilst absolutely wasted. But I do hear it now and again, and it does take me back to my first season. It was now mid-August in Sunny Beach in 2011, and my job at Iceberg was starting to get a little bit boring. The people I worked with were brilliant, and the team were so tightly knitted with no clicks within the group, but it just got to the stage of the season where people were ready to go home. Through the years, it was usually August where all the staff numbers and the tourist numbers would typically start to drop because the season would start to finish around the start to the middle of September and it became increasingly harder to make as much money in the peak season, which was usually late June slash all of July slash the first two weeks of August. I was getting bored of standing out on the streets for eight hours a day or night and as easy as it was just giving out free drinks tickets to Iceberg to people who would potentially go to our club, it was getting a bit mind-numbing. I knew I couldn't just book a flight home as I had my parents arriving, so I, I waited until they'd got to resort before making any rash decisions. My parents knew what the crack was in Sunny Beach as they'd been a few times before, and you could tell that I was their son as they loved a good booze up and a laugh as well. When they arrived, they ditched the bags and met me in a bar called Central, which was a 24-hour bar come restaurant right in the middle of the strip. I think it's called Brexit Bar nowadays, um, but when they met me there, we had a full English and a few beers with me and some friends at like six or seven o'clock in the morning. I always remember my mum being in fits of laughter at a lad called Aaron helping the gypsy road sweeping ladies, keeping the resort clean, and he was helping them sweep up the streets with a wicker brush and dancing around with them. So Aaron, Shagger, if you're listening, I hope you're well, mate, and my mum will always remember you. At this point, Tony had booked to go home as he'd had enough and I was a bit gutted about that to be fair because we started our journey, well, this journey in Sunny Beach together but he was ready for home and I was looking at flights to go home. I had discounts in the majority of the bars and I would often get discount in Jack's Bar for my parents so that they didn't have to pay full price and in fairness to the manager Christian, he was fine with that so I'd be working in the strip um, and the two Geordie lads, Aidan and James, who worked at Jack's They'd be having a good laugh with my parents and I'd pop in every hour or so just to make sure that they was alright or just to use my discount card so they got cheaper wine and beer. 
It was getting late and I'd finished work. I went to Jack's and my mum was nowhere to be seen and my dad was absolutely arsehole and James and Aidan were pissing themselves laughing telling me how much of a legend my dad was. I was confused as to what was going on and I'd ask them if they'd seen my mum and they told me not for around an hour and a half or so. So asking and then asking my dad, it was like speaking to a brick wall. So I told the boys to keep an eye on him as I rushed to my parents' hotel with the key that I took from my dad for their room to try and find my mum. Sleeping on your doorstep of your room must run in the family as my mum was asleep on her doorstep outside of her apartment as I let her back in and made sure that she was all right and as, as my dad was pissed as she was. As I went back to Jack's bar to collect him and then get him back, when I got to Jack's bar, my dad was still drinking with Aidan and James and he had them and a group of girls in stitches. I asked him what they'd been up to and then they told me he was showing everybody his no-entry tattoo on his ass, which has like a big red circle with the white line going through it. I, I, I also stayed for a pint with my dad and the lads uh, before getting him back to the hotel, which he was adamant that he knew that where he was going. Um, when I was acting like a real-life sat-nav, he clearly didn't have a fucking clue. Job done. My parents were back in the apartment in one piece, and it was now time for me to go back to my apartment. With Tony having gone home, I'd been promoted from the sofa to the shitty pull-out bed, which was making me miss my bed back in England even more. I spoke with my parents about cutting my first season slightly shorter than expected, around two two weeks or so as I was bored of promoting on the streets every day, and my job at Iceberg wasn't as engaging as my job at Bar Troopers or Party Crew, as 90% of the time I was just giving people free drinks tickets, and they'd just wander off into the night, and I wouldn't have a clue whether they was going to use that drinks ticket or not, and they helped me book my flights back to the UK, and it turned out that I'd be home four days before they got back from their holiday. It was hard telling the rest of the team that I'd made the decision to go home early, especially when you're doing your first season, because you don't know whether you'll regret it when you get home or not. But 99% of the time, you do regret it. So don't even bother if you ever do get stuck in the same situation as me in my first season. Just ask for a few days off, just to charge your batteries. The team were gutted that I was going, but understood that I was bored, and I'd worked for three different companies through the season. So it was all a bit of a whirlwind looking back, but it wasn't too much of a bad thing me going home a little bit earlier. A few days before going home, I always remember walking past the busiest nightclub in the resort, Denglada Viking, or DGV as it's known, and it was absolutely pissing it down. And there was a lad who worked for them underneath a shop canopy trying to keep dry, and I noticed that he had a huge cold sore on his, <laughs> cold sore on his lip. I approached him with the, alright mate, shit weather isn't it? And he just engaged, engaged in conversation with me. He was a British lad from the southwest. He seemed like he could take a joke, so just as I was about to walk off, I dropped the line, Fucking hell, mate, I'd get that herpes checked out too. Don't come too close to me if you want to, if you want to speak to me looking like that. Before pissing myself laughing and him shouting back to me, Fuck off, mate, it's a cold sore. I'd stop and speak to this lad a lot during my final few, uh, few days, constantly winding him, up, winding him up about his cold sore. And the day that I was leaving, he finally we both finally acknowledged what our birth names were with one another, rather than referring to each other as fat lad and herpes. Completely unknowing this lad would turn out to be one of my best friends, both in and out of Sunny Beach in the future. His name was Watsy, and Watsy probably will feature very heavily in this series.
On my last day at Iceberg, me and the team got absolutely steaming. And before I had, I did have a drink, I agreed with my dad to come and help me with my bags, etc. at 10am the next morning, as I had to be at the airport early in the afternoon for my flight back to Manchester. All I really remember from my last night on my first season was I drank a shitload of Jager bombs, a shitload of Jager monster drugs, and a shitload of shots, and that's about it. The morning of my departure had arrived, and Amy had come into the living room where I was living on the pull-out bed, and my dad was was here and he came into the room. Let's just say a company with me, as to which he gave me the grin as, as if to say, that's my boy, and told me to get my shit together as I had to get to the airport. I packed the majority of my stuff the night before, so I was pretty much ready to go, but before saying my goodbyes to the girls and some friends who were knocking about, and my parents who were staying for another four days after that I did go home, I can't lie and say that I wasn't ready to go home because I was, but I now know that was mainly due to working three different jobs and being unsettled. I needed structure, otherwise my head falls off. I learnt that about myself later down the line, but with a couple of sleeves of cigarettes, a ruined liver and a head full of amazing memories, that was season number one in the books. I think the lads at home are going to love this story. There were some important lessons that I learned from my first season. The first one was being independent. If you rely on somebody else to do everything for you, then working abroad really isn't for you. This was the first time that I'd left home and it made me appreciate everything that my parents did for me whilst I was living at home a hell of a lot more. I didn't think of these things before I left to do my first season, but if you can't wash your own clothes or manage your own money correctly in order to survive, think on your feet or go lengths of time without seeing your family back home, then working abroad really isn't for you. I'm just being brutally honest before you waste your own time and money and potentially a slot which an employer could fill somebody else with who can cope with the things that I've just said. I became less ignorant. Before I did my first season, I was a proper ignorant little shit. Like I mentioned in a previous episode, I wouldn't even bother speaking to a German person, for example. But working around various different nationalities, it does knock the ignorance out of you. Strip the voice box out of anybody and rip the skin off of, off of a human's body and we are all exactly the same. But I think you've until you've experienced being a load, around a load of different nationalities every day, then it's something you will struggle with. I learned that I'm a people's person. I always knew that I was good at speaking with people, but after working my first season abroad, it really did confirm it. I didn't have a single enemy in, in Sunny Beach in 2011. And as far as I'm aware, I wasn't disliked by anybody either. But <laughs> that remains to be seen. There is more to life than your hometown. I'll talk about being back at home in the next episode, but there really is more to life than your hometown. I mentioned in the first episode of this series that I was doing the same thing week in, week out. And from the time I spent working abroad in my first summer to when I came home, the same people was drinking in the same places and it was like I'd never been away. It sounds really cheesy but travelling really does broaden your horizons and it opens your eyes to so many different avenues in life. Money management. If you don't have it then you can't spend it. There was times during my first season where I was on my arse living out of the cheap Bulgarian bakeries in Sunny Beach just to try and get through until my salary date. You feel like a cheeky bastard if you're asking somebody who does the same job as you to borrow money or because you have poor management, money management, but at least I did anyway, so I'd never ask. That being said, it doesn't mean that I called my mum <laughs> to send me, send me the odd £20 here and there. 
Sorry, Mum. Improved judgment of people. This was a big skill that I'd gained during my first season. It was obvious when somebody was trying to sell you a lie about how they earn this and that whilst they're back home, and naive, naive people would believe them. But I always thought of my thought to myself: if your life was so perfect back at home, why you stood on the same streets as me here for eight hours a day trying to flog a bar crawl for two pound fifty commission? My overall judgment of people and reading people had increased tenfold, and I knew within the first five minutes of meeting somebody whether I'd like them or not. And it's rare; it's, it was rare that my judgment would let me down. Straight, staying true to myself and not being a sheep as well. There was a lot of kiss asses, especially to the bosses out in Sunny Beach in 2011, which I never understood. The people who kissed a lot of asses never really got anywhere and hard work outdoes arse licking every time. Don't get me wrong, do your job, but don't do be doing the extra things just to lick ass. Because believe me, it doesn't work. It just tells your employer that you're easy to manipulate. And last but not least, tattoos are for life. And Tony's mum will stay with me forever.